Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Welcome to Basic Folk. It's Cindy House, and guess who is with me today? It is I, Lizzie No. Yay! Oh my gosh, it's been so long, Lizzie. I know. I've been around uh, the world and back again, Cindy, and I've come home to you, my co-host. How are you doing? Oh, I was on tour. I was on tour with Lavender Country, Paisley Fields, Austin Lucas, Iron and Wine, and Adia Victoria. You Yeah, it's been a whirlwind watching your Instagram. I was actually showing my friend Lindsay pictures of you and Adia Victoria. I was like, look at this. And she's like, that's beautiful. And I was like, look at this one. She's like, oh my gosh, that's so gorgeous. Wow, thank you. You got so many great moments captured on film. It's funny because like being in it day in and day out, there's like some parts that are like truly glorious and you're living the dream. And then a lot of it is just like being in a car being at a gas station, being in a car again. But of course, on social media, I'm like, here's the coolest Mm. thing I ever did. So I do try to convey the best parts of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, as we all do. Oh my gosh, that cat behind you is so precious. We have, this is not the best thing to talk about in an audio format, but today is a real animal filled recording sesh. Oh, is it? Yes. Oh, yes. Lizzie, uh, tell us about your animal. Guess what, Basic Folk community? I am a dog mom as of yesterday. So happy for you. My dog son is named Berlin. um, Middle name Pistachio, Berlin Pistachio. And he's perfect in every way, except that he eats trash, none of the food I provide, and pees all over my house. But, (laughs) and of course, I'm allergic to him. But he's literally perfect. Like, he looks like a tiny dragon. Yeah. Uh, You sent me a picture of him, and I said he looks like Falcor the Luck Dragon from NeverEnding Story. Yes! The resemblance is uncanny. Because he has a little beard and, like, a little grin. He's such a sweet. Except he's a thousand times smaller than Falcor. I know! At least. He's, like, the size of a large cat, and I hope he grows. But he's not going to get there eating only trash. Yeah, totally. Can you bring this dog on an airplane as your carry-on item? I think so. Well, that's perfect. Do you want to go on a Do you want to go on a plane ride, Berlin? Nah. Oh my god! You know what dogs love? Planes. Planes. Yeah. <laughs> I went to the airport the other day. Um, I'm in California right now, so I I flew to California, and there were so many dogs. I was in the Pittsburgh airport and the Denver airport, and I saw so many dogs, service dogs, and a lot of, like, little dogs that people bring in, like, the cat carrier size. It was lovely to see that all these people were traveling with their uh, with their hounds. 
it's so good, but do you think that a dog has any concept of what goes on? Like, I ha- I know a dog that gets pretty confused when he gets in and out of an elevator. It's like, I go in one door, and then I come out the same door, but I'm in a different place. And, like, how much more so on a plane when you come out into a completely different climate? That's a good point. I think dogs, after a while, just, like, learn to trust the human they're with, unless they're a terrier, in which case they're always living in fear. Um... Why would you say that to me? I'm on day one of owning a terrier. (laughs) Well, I just want to let you know what you're in for. (laughs) This is motherhood, you guys. Yeah. Um, So I wanted to talk about a TV show that I watched recently. It's a one and done season on Amazon Prime, which I'm not trying to get people to use Amazon Prime or whatever, but this was this a good This is not TV show. a paid it's, ad for Amazon. Yeah, this is just a good recommendation because I know either you or your mom have Amazon Prime and you use the account. Uh, the show that I watched recently was this British show called The Outlaws. You heard of this? No, I haven't. It's one season and it's about uh, this group of people who are put together um, to do community service for like petty crimes. The highlight of the show is Christopher Walken. Of course he is. He is a delight. He's It's like a bunch of British people and Christopher Walken. Um, and he's like an old swindler. You know, it's great. Um, the show, I think, was written and he's also starring in it by Stephen Merchant, who worked on the UK office. Oh, very uh, fun. He, he was also in that show Extras. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which you know what's so one, funny? But... Our listeners might think that this is like a bit we do where Cindy's like, have you heard of this thing? And Lizzie says, no, I've never heard of it. Tell me more. It's not a bit that we do. I've just literally never heard of anything that Cindy has heard of. <laughs> I'm genuinely learning well, in the moment. <laughs> well, I'm a connector and uh, I like to tell people about things that they might like. And I really enjoyed this because... And it was like a thing where you go on Amazon. They're like, you might like this show. But usually, right. like, I don't like the show. No. I usually hate it. But this one is good. It's called The Outlaws. Would When you were on tour, did you come across anything that you enjoyed that you want to recommend to me? Honestly, Cindy, I didn't read one page of a book. I don't think I even watched a moment of television. Into, like, I didn't consume, I didn't listen to music. I didn't listen to podcasts. Being on tour for two months is really just a survival game. And I was just like, in my mind, putting one foot in front of the other. But since I've been home, I've been reading Dune, the sci-fi masterpiece, and I am loving it. I, I want to finish it before I see the movie, which I've heard is excellent. Is this a, this a first read for you oh, yeah. on Dune? Mm-hmm. Cool. You know what book I started reading recently? <laughs> Not to show off or anything, but A uh, Hundred Years of Solitude. That's one of the best books ever. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. And this is after, like, I went to the library and I got, like, three beach reads. Mm -hmm. And my brain, like, it was fun to read them and they were, like, page turners. But, like, my brain felt like it was melting out of my head. That one, 100 Years of Solitude is a genuinely fun and engaging read. Um, I had to read it many times in college because I was a comparative literature major and comparative literature professors simply love 100 Years of Solitude. Um, I remember... Staying up one finals week, subsisting on cereal and cigarettes, sorry mom, and writing what I thought was an excellent paper, but joke's on me now because my kitchen is full of ants. Ooh, shoot. 
that's a joke about 100 Years of Solitude, but it's also a true fact. <laughs> Maybe one day I will finish that book and understand you that will. joke. You will. Oh, you sure will. Nice. Um, well, uh, another thing that I'm really looking forward to coming out next month, Tammy Nielsen has a new album. Uh, it's called Kingmaker, and she is been my favorite discovery i think for like the past many years i mean aside really from lizzie cool. no obviously she is like a delight she's been on this podcast previously and i am gonna do my darndest to get her back on um but she just is yeah genuinely cool um lovely human being and like beautiful like a beautiful person inside and out like great mm-hmm. um visually stunning and just like she she did uh a duet with willie nelson yeah. on on this new album and she made a video of herself like hearing it for the first time and she's like weeping and uh it i don't know it sounds like if anybody else had done it it would have been like super corny but like when she did it i was like i feel like this is like the best the best part of humanity. She's really genuine. I can't wait yeah. to watch that video. Uh, the album Kingmaker comes out July 15th from Tammy Nielsen. Um, she's the lady with the beehive. <laughs> what you might call her. Um, Lizzie, I, I really want to tip my hat to you uh, for being on tour for two straight months. Um, listeners may have noticed that Lizzie hasn't been on Basic Folk for quite a while and that is through no fault of her own it is um due to like scheduling conflicts because everyone else is like on tour right now because they're you know we're back at it we're back in action um we're safely back in action uh so i will i will want to this is why i want to tip my hat to you because you did an interview while you were in the middle of your tour that we are happily releasing today, S.G. Goodman. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited about this interview. I definitely was like, oh Lord, am I going to be able to pull this off like in the middle of tour? Cindy helped me with the technical aspect of getting it recorded. And it ended up being just such a fun conversation. And I love this album. I know I say this a lot about our guests, but like this album is so up my alley. Um, It is like a very cool kind of rock, kind of punk, kind of country, like super thoughtful record. Is this me introducing the S.G. Goodman album, Teeth Marks? It sure is. Do you see how I kind of backed my way into that intro? (laughs) That's me letting our listeners behind the curtain. Um, But anyway, I think people are going to love Teeth Marks. S.G. Goodman is a Kentucky artist who is like Kentucky to the bone And I say that not just because it's a cool fact, but because it's something she takes pride in and something she is considering um, in a lot of her writing. Like, what does it mean to stay where you grew up and like see things about your community that you're disappointed with or concerned about? And like, what does it mean to actually do something about it and not just be on the outside and criticize? Um, So I have to tip my hat to her for that. Her first album was produced by Jim James, and we we talked about that first album and the kind of DIY scene that led to the writing and recording of that first record. And then we talked about spirituality. We talked about um, the theme of this new album, which is like the scars of love and loss. 
Um, and we talked a good bit about politics. She was like really down to go there, talk about causes that she thinks more artists should be talking about. Um, so she's just like a very serious person, a very cool person, and someone I'm hoping to see when she is on tour promoting this new record. Sweet. Yeah, the new record is called Teeth Marks. We're going to take a listen to a little bit of the title track and then we'll get to our conversation. Uh, all right, this is S.G. Goodman with Teeth Marks, and then we'll hear the one and only Lizzie No talk to S.G. on Basic Folk. basic folk where we have honest conversations with folk musicians i am here to talk with the wonderful songwriter sg goodman about her new album teeth marks this music is really powerful i have a lot of ideas and thoughts and i'm just so excited to jump into it um welcome to the show sg hey thanks for having me yeah excited to get into it with you let's jump right in how would you describe your hometown in two sentences or less small and charming mm-hmm. my hometown my hometown is hickman kentucky so it's a, a very small but charming place so you knew a lot of the same people like from cradle to graduation type of thing yeah absolutely i'm actually doing a, a spring cleaning and um mm-hmm. my mother had me bring all of my belongings from you know my childhood room back a year a couple of years ago and I'm just now going through it all and you know I'm finding old pictures from school so basically the same people I went to kindergarten with were also probably at my graduation oh my gosh so you're you're seeing you know all the pictures from all those people through the years and it's really kind of wild to think about not everybody's experience for sure. No, not at all. For off the bat, like what did that do to your sense of like what you could and couldn't 
or should and shouldn't share in your music. Like, I imagine if like you've kept in touch with a lot of the same people since you were a little kid, if it were me, I might have reservations about like what personal details to share, how I portrayed my roots. Like, do you feel a responsibility to like kind of tell a certain type of story to your community and about it? I definitely believe that, you know, anybody's work is only as good as how much respect they show to their characters. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I haven't actually kept up with a lot of people from that time in my life, Mm -hmm. you know, and I, I don't, I don't go back to my hometown too often, even though I'm very close and that's where my family's still at. But even with that said, yeah, I would say there are probably stories I don't, I wouldn't share or Mm -hmm. don't share because, it's such a small community. Not only do I know those individuals, but their parents probably went to school in the same way from grade school to high school with my parents. It's, you know, we go to each other's family's funerals right. and stuff. So there is a sense of um, loyalty to make sure that, yeah, certain aspects of of what you know about people remain you know back at home Mm -hmm. but for the most part I always try to make sure that I portray my hometown or just I I think I do it more in saying let's look at a broader picture of rural communities and stuff like that and don't necessarily hone in on one family right family (laughs) you're not there to do like um tabloid journalism on Hickman not yet no not yet you know (laughs) I'm just kidding when did you first start writing songs and do you do you remember what your songs were about? Like what first inspired you to write? Yeah, I don't even I don't really think it happened that way as if mm-hmm. I was like trying to to do songwriting. Mm-hmm. I think my brothers would probably say um I'm one of 3 and I mm-hmm. have two brothers, the middle child, but I would I would get made fun of a lot as a kid for never remembering lyrics and Actually, I still don't really remember lyrics that well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I had some kind of weird processing disorder or what, but, um, you know, I could hear the same song a million times and think a word was something different. So I feel like just whatever that experience was of never being able to know song titles, lyrics, any of that stuff, I just made them up. Hmm. And it was kind of like these weird moments of having my own versions of popular hit songs. (laughs) Um, And I think I would say, like, that's probably where I started the craft without knowing it. That is fascinating. You were, like, covering for yourself in social settings. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I guess I was, you know, and also it's kind of convenient to have had that skill now because, you know... I don't always remember my own lyrics on stage. Mm -hmm. It's, it is something I really have to focus on. And there have been many times where I will just totally ad lib and make something up on the spot. You know, what's, what's a recent one. Can you tell me a good SG Goodman, uh, parody of SG Goodman? (laughs) Oh my goodness. That, that would be hard because it's so off the cuff and something that just rhymes. I don't know. That's a hard question. I'm not sure, but I know I do it. And I also know that my bandmates pick up on it. And yep. I would say it was an easier thing to do mm-hmm. a few years ago before people set with my record. Yeah. 
Um, and now when I have people actually that know my songs, I can't just repeat the first verse if I totally blank on the second one. Yeah. It's kind of like, oh yeah, you really messed up. It's tough when people sort of expect things from you after a while. I know. And it's kind of funny. You know how you open up Spotify and it mm-hmm. shows like your recently played people. If somebody opened mine, they would think I was a real narcissist because I definitely have to listen to myself. Mm-hmm. And it's not because I'm like, man, this, you know, I just can't get enough of this. <laughs> girl. It's because right before my shows, I need to listen to how I did stuff. Yeah. I forget. That's I really, know. really funny to me. So many people are so precious about their lyrics. Um, mm-hmm. And you're a great lyricist, but I think that's a really healthy attitude to have toward it. You're like re-collaging on the, on the fly. Yeah. yeah. I'm not too precious about much, yeah. except my dog. So. <gasps> What's your dog's name? Uh, Howard. That's my manager's name. Really? A steadfast friend. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Howard's a a good, strong name. It's a solid name. Absolutely. I would love to hear a little bit about the DIY scene that you came up in. And specifically, like, yes, you are like a sort of multi-genre artist, a band leader, but like also people think of you as like a singer-songwriter. So how did that DIY kind of diverse palette of bands and genres affect how you do your work as a writer? Like, are you a collaborative writer or are you someone that like goes off alone, writes, and then brings it to the collective? Or did the does the collective kind of get into all of it? No, I've I've always wanted to have more, I don't know, I guess with, with certain friends of mine who I, I think are really, I'm really drawn to their music. Mm-hmm. I would love for them to be like, let's write a song together. But that's not really been my experience too much. Um, but going back to your, your question about the DIY scene and, mm-hmm. and, and how that kind of has shaped me. Um, yeah, so I, I live in Murray, Kentucky, mm-hmm. which is a college town. I decided to come here two weeks before classes started. I I didn't really, I probably shouldn't have gone to college, to be honest with you, but I ended up here because there was a guy with a studio close by that I liked what he was, he was putting out. So I was like, well, I'll just, I'll work on music and I'll go to college because that's what I'm supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And a few years into school, I kind of, you know, got established in a group of friends that are still, you know, my close friends today and they were playing post-punk music Mm -hmm. and Murray is such a small town where if you wanted to have a house show it's not like there were six or seven post-punk bands floating around there was a few and then you had a few maybe bluegrass ensembles and this kind of thing so it was a real mix but you know I just grew up in a in a scene where we put I, I put bands up in my house that were coming through we have a local independently owned record shop that we have bands come and play in and then put them up after the show and I've seen people from all over the world come through this town we're kind of perfectly situated between Nashville St. Louis on your way to Kansas City maybe Memphis so sometimes the manager of Terrapin Station Tim Payton who's a close friend of mine 
I mean, he gets written every day for people to ask to play there. And I've seen Kelly Dill from the Breeders there. I've I seen Parquet Courts the, on their... Yeah, I love the Breeders. Big yeah. Breeders fan. Yeah. Yep. I've seen Parquet Courts in Murray, Kentucky in a kitchen with like 12 people, you know? So it's just, you never know who's going to come through, but it definitely was just it has been something very special to be a part of and grow in and learn from but as far as how that's affected my writing I would say it's definitely made me want to include aspects of what I love about that music into my own I love feedback I like noise records I like all this stuff and I don't really you know there's with this new record coming out teeth marks Matt Rowan, who has been a friend of mine for many years and also music collaborator. He's a wonderful guitarist, multi-instrumentalist, honestly. And I told him how I wanted to construct that song. And there's a lot of noise you can hear in there, a lot of feedback. And that is from taking the like the whammy bar on the guitar and just twisting it and cranking the amp and like finding these little noise and layer layering them. And that's the kind of stuff that you realize how people manipulate their instruments in punk and stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's something that's really fun to draw from and put it into like the music I write. So that's kind of how I think that merges a bit. We, we are on the basic folk podcast. God bless and sometimes I think that approaches to recording folk music can be overly rigid. So I definitely identify with that impulse to push it a little bit and just put into the song what the song desires. Yeah, exactly. Do you have, like, if people ask you, um, and the answer might be different depending on who's asking, but when people ask you what genre your music is, do you have an answer? Do you, like, feel a type of way about what genre you get placed in? No, I just tell them to Google and let me know, too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, it's kind of like, I I mean, I get the genre of Americana and maybe it's sort of its function Mm -hmm. in a way. It's kind of like, okay, let's just throw everything that's not going to get played on popular radio into one thing. Mm We, we definitely are not going to let them have, like, any, you know, they're not going to get the front seats at the Grammy, even if they're up for one. Like, none of that stuff. Like, but, but we're going to keep them around because they're generating some money. You know, we can't count them out. <laughs> they're kind of influencing maybe the stuff on Top 40 in a way. So, it's kind of like feeding one or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I just... You can't, in the same way when you write a song, you can't be in control of how someone interprets it because it's, it's kind of not yours anymore. The genre situation, it's frustrating and limiting and it's kind of like letting a journalist describe your music for you yeah. in a really big way. They might miss the mark and they're your peg. So I don't really think about it too much other than the fact that once you're labeled something like that, I do think that... Um, the likelihood, unless you're not signed and or signed to a label that allows you to be on like SoundCloud or Bandcamp or something, you're probably not going to have a crossover hit. And anyone who listens to Strictly to Top 40 probably will never discover you. Right. I mean, that's kind of an ugly truth, but yeah, come on. Well, yeah, I want to ask you about your first album, um, Old Time Feeling. Uh, can you talk about mm. how you approached 
recording it, like knowing like this is my first statement. You were working with Jim James, another Kentuckian. Mm. How did you approach putting those songs together? Like, were you hoping it was going to sound like your live band? Did you have particular like influences in mind as far as the sound? Yeah, I think even now um, with the album Teeth Marks, I have gone about it in decently the same way. Mm-hmm. And once again, no right way, no wrong way, I guess. But I tend to demo things to death. Mm-hmm. And um, so Old Time Feeling, for example, it not not exactly the same with Teeth Marks because of the pandemic. It was hard to demo them to the level that I did Old Time Feeling, but... I got into a local studio here closer to Murray, um, a studio called Loud and Clear in Paducah, Kentucky, that I've done a lot of work in and really learned a lot about the process in and demoed out all of Old Time Feeling. So the way Jim and I worked together where I'd made demos, sent them to him, we did kind of a a back and forth email exchange Mm -hmm. and called it pre-production, you know, And just got some good feedback on what was working and what was not. And for me, you know, not to give not to give this away to everyone, (laughs) but I like to I like to keep things a little bit rough and not as polished as certain people's ideas of how things should sound. And I think that is a good approach for a couple of reasons. One, it's humans playing the instruments. And I love at the end of a track to hear my drummer, you know, breathe or something like that. Or hear, you know, maybe a pop in the mic. Mm -hmm. Just things I really enjoy about hearing, you know, like in um, Neil Young's Harvest, you can hear his harmonica mic getting Mm -hmm. popped at some point or whatever. I love that kind of stuff. It also is interesting because, and I love pop music, and I love a good polished record, Mm -hmm. don't get me wrong. But if you mess up while playing that live, everybody knows it. But if you're an extra, a little bit extra fuzzy, or your overdrive is a little too loud on this part when you make records like I do, people just think it's part of what's going on. You know, it's loose, it's human. It kind of gives you a little bit more room to be uh they call it organic um i just call it raw authentic yeah yeah, (laughs) raw authentic slash it's like just some room to mess up and no one really be able to notice yes keep people's expectations not low but like fluid i think that's a great approach to life yeah and i you know i i love that but um i love seeing bands like that Mm -hmm. feeling like I'm actually watching a group of people just rocking and messing up a little bit you know the human element in so many songs even songs that I think are really amazing you know it's just where's the human in it Mm -hmm. so I kind of put that idea first and I do like for my songs to sound like they do when I play them live I want to touch on a lyric from Old Time Feeling before I forget and get super deep into teeth marks. So the title track feels kind of like an album about staying close to your roots, doing the work. You know, you mentioned being the change. And the lyric, I think, is about people who who move where everybody feels the same. Like, 
the solution is not mm-hmm. like get out and complain. It's like stay and work. Is that something that like is important to you personally? Is that something you've put into practice since that song came out? You know, how are you thinking about that now? Well, I was raised an hour from where I'm sitting mm-hmm. right now, you know, and it's interesting um, I've always, li- I-, I lived in Nashville, which would have been three hours from where I'm from mm-hmm. um, for six and a half months. So a very brief period. But I do believe that change comes from within. I'm not asking people to sacrifice their mental health or physical, you know, safety by staying in situations that are unsafe for them. And I do think there's something powerful about understanding your home after leaving it Mm -hmm. a bit, if that's what you do, if that's what you are, you know, do. And I don't, I'm not real convinced um, that's what a lot of people do. And especially when, you know, places like, for instance, I'm sitting in Kentucky here Mm -hmm. today. um, Politically seem just so like climbing up a hill behind a boulder and it is something that I believe in and you know have tried my hardest to feel good about doing you know and I'm not going to say that I'm not going to be living in other places at some point Mm -hmm. in my life I'm not going to be like I'm you know born here I'm going to die here or anything like that (laughs) here and now we got the exclusive she'll never leave Yeah, exactly. No, I think it's important to, you know, get other experiences Mm -hmm. in life. But yeah, I think that especially in the South and rural communities, Mm -hmm. small communities, I don't think people take well to outsiders being the change for them. That's not, it's not really how that seems to work. And so I, I think that's why it's so important for people to realize that if you want to change your situation, it's kind of got to start with you and it's probably not going to be from you leaving and shouting it over the internet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a great point that a lot of times people really want to relate to the person that they're arguing with even like, even if we don't agree, Mm -hmm. we share some things in common. Well, you've also said that like you wish that more musicians would use that platform to get people involved Mm -hmm. in like, you know, whether it's a local issue or a cause, if you could just pick, like, what's a cause you feel like off the top of your head musicians are not addressing enough? This is a very tough question, you know, because there are a lot of musicians that do, you know, they'll they'll post... I think the reason I'm having trouble answer this is because how anymore do we know when someone's talking about anything enough on the internet? Yeah. You know... I struggle a lot with the idea of being performative. Yeah. I definitely feel weird about saying this or that mm-hmm. um, on the internet because of fear of coming off as performative in some way. And so it's like, what issue shouldn't we be talking about? <laughs> we, we I just heard today on NPR that Biden's rolling back campaign promises and now going to give up some public land, like many, many acres, yeah. to allow drilling for oil to deal with someone else's war, you know, um, because he, I mean, he's already going to lose probably the next election anyway, because Americans don't understand that Biden doesn't control gas prices and global inflation. (laughs) So it's kind of like, 
why just stick to your guns and not screw up our environment even more with this? And like try to do something actually lasting. Yeah, it's, you know, and it's just you're that kind of stuff is ridiculous. So, yeah, we could, you know, I really respect the weather station and her album when she came oh, out. About, man. That was such a powerful album for me. The Robber like, is like one of the one of my favorite songs of the past few years. Oh, oh my she's gosh. A, she's a phenomenon. Is, yeah. <laughs> amazing. Absolutely amazing. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, these big powerhouse greats mm-hmm. who I love. Um, you know, they pull their stuff off of Spotify. Um, you know, it's all these big things that feed musicians in a mm-hmm. way, or at least keep us sort of fed. We can't real. some of us are, have, have contracts that don't allow us one to say anything negative about our labels, anything negative about these major companies that do these mm-hmm. things even though we can all acknowledge that those same companies do good stuff for us, we can't unionize in a real way and get change. You know, the same people who were like, you know, I respect Neil Young for going off, but he didn't have a problem knowing that, you know, these companies were for years not paying people Mm -hmm. a lot. No, I think you're right. And it's, and it's like, you can take a stand and it can be well-meaning but then you will be held accountable for a lot of the issues you did ignore. It often seems to me like the artists have an easier time picking like a social issue, like that's a little narrower than addressing like yeah. poverty and corporate greed. Cause that feels like a monster we can't tackle. Exactly. And it's even like, you know, I just said that and clearly I'm, I'm uh, talking about streaming services and I'm kind of at the same time thinking I better say like, oh, but thank you, you know, right. and I and I do mean that. Like they've given my music a chance to be shared a- across the globe. Yes. And I am grateful for that. But there's, we can't also critique our work environment mm-hmm. as artists. Like, I can't critique the fact that as I was having dinner with a couple the other day and the, you know, the woman that I was with um, or that was having dinner, too, with me and friends, um, she opened for Elvis Costello 20 years ago. And as an opening artist, me right now, my pay is the same as hers. The same. And guess what? You don't hear artists talking about those opening show rates where you can't even pay one of your band members what they should make in a show, much less gas, hotels, or anything. And you're expected to start your career getting in years of debt, just hoping that you can get out of that level of touring. SG, this is hard. And I usually try not to like get emotional <laughs> during the interviews, but this is what like literally right before I called you, I was crying to my boyfriend because the possibility of like supporting a band and all of the things that that provides for is such a huge financial burden. And I think people that aren't in the industry of course, like we, we know what we know. And a lot of people don't know the day-to-day uh, workings of what goes into being a musician, especially an independent musician. But like, if you don't start playing some great full band shows, you know, you're not going to be able to make that next record. Well, if you yeah. can't afford to pay a band, then you can't be playing those full band shows. If you're not getting that opening slot, you know, it's like one thing leads to another. And it exactly. all leads to the wealthy getting wealthier. 
It does. And, you know, I understand that clearly, you know, when I'm opening for someone who's really big or whatever, Mm -hmm. I'm clearly not the one bringing in people. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're not there to see me. You'll be like a happy surprise. I'll be a happy, hopefully, you know, (laughs) that's what we can hope for. But at the same time, I just think it's a miracle to be able to do this in general, Mm -hmm. especially by the small little margins that you have to operate under. You know, I'm going to play in Europe in June. Well, I'm only going to carry my guitarist because I can't afford to have a band over there. I can't, and I don't know musicians over there, you know, so... It's like I've got to I've got to present myself as a two piece for the first time to that audience, and that's mm-hmm. not what I want to show. Yeah, you know, I oh man, I've never related to something harder. It's real. It's very real. <laughs> and what's unfortunate is like it's hard as an individual artist, and I think also like as a podcaster, a listener, an appreciator of music, I want to see artists giving me what they feel best represents their work. Mm -hmm. Like if some people see themselves as solo artists, you know, some people want a full orchestra. I wish we lived in a world where it was more possible for more different types of people to present their best work. But unfortunately it's like those with resources will continue to have more creative freedom. And the rest of us kind of like, you know, find our way miraculously. Yeah. And you know, I'll, I'll say this, like, I'm in a very fortunate position, mm-hmm. you know, with with my label and my team and stuff. And, you know, I definitely want to say that, but I think it would be really shocking for people to know. And, you know, I have a lot of friends in the industry who are also signed or whatever. Mm-hmm. What that really means. It's a lot. You know, as far <laughs> as like, yeah, well, what that means even for like tour. Last mm-hmm. year, my fall tour right in the middle of the pandemic, believe me, I had a couch surfing map, Mm -hmm. but it was in the middle of a giant surge that it made me feel ethically wrong to ask my friends to let me and a band who have been across the entire United States walk into their house during COVID. Yeah. And I called on the internet for donations and man, it was so humbling, Mm -hmm. but I like my fans helped me tour as safely as possible. And when you think about the amount of money that it takes to tour in general, it's amazing. But I would say, honestly, here's let me just end this part with this. I'm sitting here talking about how musicians, you know, what are they saying from their platform? And they're not really talking about different things within the industry. I always think I'm so fortunate to get to do what I do, but clearly there are bigger issues at hand. Yeah. Well, (laughs) because it's about people's, it's about, it's about inequality and it's about safe working conditions. Like these are things that pretty much anyone can relate to if they're paying attention. It's not just about Spotify and hotel costs and COVID. Like it's about these bigger issues. Yeah. Yeah. It's about the fact that, you know, clearly from what I have heard from fans and different things, music means a lot to Mm -hmm. people, but the inner workings of the industry are like any other workforce, Mm -hmm. which is in ways there, there, there is exploitation kind of things, you know, going on as far as how things 
and I don't know, I guess what you are asked to do for people to have access to your art. But I guess really what I was trying to get to by that was saying, I would say it would probably be at this moment way more important for artists to start using their lyrics and music to talk about the environment, to talk about, you know, I mean, we're probably going to see the reversal of Roe v. Wade. Yep. You know, we're going to have, pro I mean, probably, I'm tr I'm sorry to be a Debbie Downer, but I'm a big politic follower and we're probably going to lose, con you know, all right, I don't know how you stand, but we're the Democrats are going to lose control of the House and the yeah. Senate. I mean, you and, know, it's like, and like we, we barely, I mean, we actually don't have, we don't have universal suffrage even. So like, oh, oh okay. People yeah. are not, like yeah, losing exactly. their voting rights. Like it's, it's that dire. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, the most, the most important political race of this next year that will show us how that works is the race with Stacey Abrams, yep. you know? Mm -hmm. So it's just like, there's so many things that are important for artists to talk about. I get why they're not talking about opening rates. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, we're kind of swamped you know. at the moment, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. We're a little, we're a little busy with yeah. the dumpster fire going on, you Absolutely. know? So. I think that's the perfect way to pivot into some of the questions that I have about your new album, Teeth Marks. One of my favorite songs on the record is Work Until I Die, and it addresses all of these topics that we've been talking about, you know, this impetus to just give and give and work and work and work, like, as the condition of your life. And to do a little bit of foregrounding, I think what interested me the most about this song is not just like the content, but the way that it's constructed. Like it, the mm -hmm. song begins with this exclamation, listen. And I don't know if you get down on literary theory at all, but um, mm -hmm. Roman Jacobson, you know, talks about the, the functions of language. One is like the mimetic, mm -hmm. which is basically like, you know, that mirror to reality, just like showing what the world is. There's like expressive function of like, talking about the author's mind or point of view. And this one felt like the phatic function, which I had to refresh my memory on, but it's basically that act of talking for the purpose of performance and like the purpose of talking and establishing that the speaker has a relationship with the audience. And I, and it's like reminding, like, I'm talking to you right now. We're both here. We're both experiencing this conversation. I feel like work until I die is the perfect example of that because it's not just saying what you think, it's saying the type of communication that you wanna have with your audience. So mm -hmm. like you're saying, we have a channel of communication, like it's still worth it to talk to each other. It's still worth it to talk about these things. So I'm curious, like specifically with that song, does that feel like something that came from your communal church background? Like who are you seeing as the audience? What's kind of the backstory on the way that that song is constructed? Well, what's interesting about that is, you know, we kind of earlier in the episode, we're talking about, do I ever do any co-writes? Mm -hmm. And this was one of the first time I was able to on a record. Oh, interesting. Um, so this song was written by um, Matt Rowan, who played guitar mm -hmm. on my record and several other instruments. Um, and then I wrote the ending of the song and did some tweaking of verses here or there. 
but I heard this song years ago and have been obsessed with it because I was the audience and mm. it spoke to me. And I also, being Matt and I have such a long history together, um, knew where he was coming from with it. And I just thought it was so powerful. And I wrote the ending of the song after a prayer that my brother always said at the table growing mm-hmm. up, except I changed it to, you know, it being about the company. Yeah. And it is an interesting conversation um, and how it builds just about, I think what I have always found interesting about that song and Matt's initial idea of it was how the worker is aware you know, the awareness of of the person in it is is what I think is striking and also the fact, but they say, but I've got to get back to it. Yes. You know, kind of thing. And it's like, it's pointing to a moment of that struggle that's so interesting, like about what do we do with our, one, I think Matt at the beginning is trying to make other people aware, but also saying like, not only I'm aware, I'm in this grind too. And mm-hmm. in fact, I got to get back to it. And I think that's really interesting and just a really true picture of what we're dealing with today of, you know, organizing and things like that. Because we're organizing at a time where economically the stakes are a bit different. I would say, I would mm-hmm. argue that. I mean, yeah. you know, in the sense of wages, the way goods cost now compared to the wages, the amount of hours a week, you know, just it wasn't too long ago that, you know, we're one of the first generations that it's just totally normal. You have to have a two-person income. Right. Or, or some roommates. People. Yeah, to, to yeah, even afford housing. Roommates. Yeah. Well, and I think specific to that song, I think what's so interesting is that line, like the, I've got to get back to it. It actually, mm-hmm. I mean, masterful sort of playwriting in songwriting because it lets the listener know they're actually like on on a break. They're actually probably like, the people that are talking in this song are probably like at work. Like you can kind of see them at the water cooler or just like on the weekend. Like you can kind of see your own version of what that would look like, like that you're so busy. You don't actually even have time to keep talking and talking about what the world could be. And I think that's like one of these modern sort of conditions that you're talking about where people are so busy working multiple jobs. They don't even have time to consider like, how can we change it? How can we make it better? And that's like the mm. worst part. You know, we saw with COVID mm. so many people that like got laid off or, you know, furlough or whatever, like finally having time to sit home and protests exploded across the country. And like, that's what happens when we have time to talk to each other. Yep, exactly. And, you know, yeah, it's just the whole thing has been really interesting. I'm afraid, I hope we didn't you know, miss out on some opportunities, but I I think that there has been a shift in mentality that's Mm -hmm. exciting. And it's also, I'm afraid in this next year with the inflation issue, um, and who knows, you know, unfortunately what's happening and how massive of a situation the war in Ukraine is going to affect the food resources globally we don't even know the full effect of the war in Ukraine that controls so many countries 
um, grain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my dad's a farmer, and right now a lot of people are unaware of this, but, you know, crop prices or the grain prices at market value is really high. But due to what we've been going through these past few years and inflation and or and the war, well, and inflation, gas and petroleum is so high that the fertilizer he would use on his grain to make the yields high to try to meet some demand globally are so expensive that it doesn't really matter what the price is at the granary. <laughs> you know, like there's all these compounding problems that are happening right That's here. That's dark. Yeah, and I'm thinking that there's like a rumbling of stress where I feel like we're going to see see some more unrest happening. And Biden just pushed back student loans again today. And if there was ever like a weird pickle of, you know, in the world or in this country, it's that one because clearly we need to cancel student loans, but it's not fixing the problem. Yeah. Just another generation of people would be acquiring debt the same day that other people get relief. Mm -hmm. It's not fixing the problem. But yeah, what a weird time we're in. I'll I'll leave it there. (laughs) We're in an extremely weird time. I want to also talk about um, if you were someone I loved. Oh, gosh. Is that the title? Because there's two. If you were someone I loved is... Yeah. That's kind of like your rockin' empathy anthem um mm-hmm. i'm curious who's like in that song specifically who did you conceptualize as the us who did you conceptualize as the them like is that does is that drawn from specifics in your life or do you see it as like kind of like a bigger parable about in group out group stuff yeah well the the i in the song I wrote it that way so if anyone sings along then they become the i and hopefully, you know, like I said earlier, we don't have control on how people interpret our songs or really receive them in any way. When you become the I in that song, you're the person who is admitting to the other that if you love them, you would treat them differently, which is the case across the board with human experience. You know, so many of our institutions and medical research facilities, universities, um, were started by rich families who just so happened to have a kid with a weird condition or died (laughs) from something. Yeah. You know, which I guess in a weird way we should be thankful for, but also that's what it took. You know, that's what it took. It took for someone to have something so drastic happen to them personally for it to matter enough to put a bunch of money into it and and make it a cause. And unfortunately, that's still how policy is today. And this song is talking about an insane crisis happening right now and has been happening for years, which is the opioid crisis. I mean, we have people dying of overdose of fentanyl all the time, and the pipeline from opioids to fentanyl is just very obvious at this point, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and we're all, like, we're well aware of the corporate malfeasance that, like, went into that. It's not this big mystery. Oh, exactly. I mean, uh, by the time, you know, if if we have full Netflix series on it, then we <laughs> should have policy around it, you know? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, we should definitely have, have be a little bit further along mm-hmm. in this issue, But I think, you know, that's just 
maybe the content within that story that's portrayed, but it really applies to so much, which was my problem writing the song. And I thought about, you know, you could say the same thing of, I mean, I did, I felt like it was better just to stick to one thing and the thing maybe that was on my heart at the moment. But you could put in immigration in there. You could put in, you know, the voting situation in there. You could put in so many women's, you could put in so much crap and just the idea of if you love that person going through that, would you be, would it be different to you? Mm-hmm. You know? And I think that's really the driving force behind that song. And I guess if anybody, you know, took anything from that song, that's what I would want them to take. Just in what areas of your life, if you love that person going through that, would you treat them differently? Would you take action differently around it? That's fascinating. I hadn't thought about it that way. And I think that's such a smart way of just like, doing what you've been talking about, which is like using your platform. It's not a tweet. It's not an article, though those things can be wonderful. It's using your songwriting to put someone in somebody else's shoes. That's a great accomplishment. Okay. um, Yeah. SG, would you be willing to do a brief lightning round? The rules of which are you can't ask any clarifying questions, just straight from the hip. Let's do it. What is your favorite gas station delicacy? Probably a chicken tender. Do you you have a favorite author? No. (laughs) Jeans or sweatpants? Black jeans. Black jeans. Favorite sport to watch? Soccer with my friend Steven, even though I don't know anything about it. (laughs) Favorite sport to play? Um, Couch surfing. Hell yeah. Um, Who was your first childhood celebrity crush? Oh, definitely Zach Hansen. <gasps> wow. We must be similar ages. Um, well, he looks like a lesbian, so yeah, makes sense. For sure. Really, when, <laughs> for you sure. <laughs> when you dig upon further investigation. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Approximately how many lies do you tell per week? Probably too many to count. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I actually have a problem where um, I get myself in trouble by saying everything that's in my head opposite Mm -hmm. so probably a lot fewer than most Mm -hmm. yeah um what is your favorite neil young song motion pictures for carrie what is your least favorite neil young song probably some probably something he did live Mm -hmm. those can be exhausting to me (laughs) um (laughs) sg goodman thank you so much for talking with me for basic folk i'm lizzie no um everybody go get the new record teeth marks when it's out Uh, The single is already out and available to stream. Thanks again, SG. You've been so interesting to talk to. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you. This episode of Basic Folk was produced by John Nungesser. Alex Stanton does our music. You can listen to Basic Folk wherever you get podcasts on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. You can also search for us on the SiriusXM app under Basic Folk, or you can check out our website, basicfolk.com. That's also where you can sign up for our newsletter and make a contribution to support us. Okay, we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.